This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with Wall Street guru turned financial literacy coach and founder of the Money School and Private Money Club, Chris Noggle. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, my friend and mentor, Chris Noggle, former professional snowboarder turned Wall Street investment guru, founder of BYOB, Be Your Own Banker, creator of the Money School and CEO of the Private Money Club, shares his life and his revolutionary relationship he has with money that catapulted him to the top of his profession as a financial coach, investment strategist, and mastermind masterclass kingpin, giving us an inside glimpse into the six economic truths and money-guiding principles he illuminated in his amazing TED Talk. Chris's mission is to teach the world how to be your own bank and solve every money problem by putting you back in control of your money. Chris Noggle is on the show today. Chris Noggle has perfect hair. I'm sad he has on his ball cap because as I challenge him, his hair has not moved since 1997. He's just the, the, the epitome of sophisticated elegance and polished professionalism. He has a podcast, but more important, he is a family man. He is a man of faith. He understands the significance of the transference of trust. And he has figured out a way, a legal way, to buck what we know about money and how we honor and how we use and how we invest money. And I'm, I'm more than elated to have you on the show, Chris. So you've heard all about his background on my pre-recorded introduction. Let's just cut right to the chase. Buffalo, New York native. Tell us about how you grew up when you first discovered that you had a knack for the use of money. The, the interesting thing about you and the way we, we, we met all those years ago at a real estate summit in Las Vegas, where you were not only a practitioner who was someone doing that, investing your money and making a gajillion dollars in real estate, but you are also a teacher, a faculty member to share what you had figured out as a young man that puts you so far ahead of the curve that now a lot of folks are catching up to, including Grant Cardone. You went way before he did. Take us back to your past, and uh, I hope you know my compliments and my love and admiration for you are so sincere. Take it away, Chris. Uh, thanks, Dan. What an honor and a privilege, and that was such a great uh, intro. But, you know, I didn't grow up in a family with money. I grew up in a lower, lower middle class family. Dad was an alcoholic. My mom had to raise me. It was a, a huge struggle. And growing up, you know, without things forces you to, you know, do different things. And mine was I became a dreamer. You know, I remember watching my mom. You know, she was always my unconditional one. But I remember watching her, how she saved it. When she needed something, she had to save up for it. But she couldn't just go buy it. So I'd watch her save her spare change in a little glass jar. 
And over time, I, I've watched this glass jar build up. It was right in her closet. I remember looking at it. And one day it was like down at the bottom a quarter way, then it's halfway. And, you know, every once in a while, my mother would call me in and she'd be like, Chris, help me count this. Now, I know a lot of the people watching this right now, like maybe some of them have never even counted change, but this was just a common thing in my household. We'd put it all on the floor, a big pile of change, nickels, pennies, quarters, and we would just roll it for hours. And when my mom saved up enough money, she would go and buy the things that she needed. But to me, what was unique about seeing this is I was fascinated by watching how that money in that jar grew over time. And you know, when I got a little older, my mom got me this little black box and it was a little slide top black box. I still have the thing. And I used it to save the money, my money that I made for the things I wanted. And you know, I'll never forget, there's one particular time where I had been so fixated on this KX125 dirt bike. I was a like a kid that just loved being outside. And, and I remember I was saving for this thing, dreaming about this thing, drawing pictures of me riding this thing over and over. And I, one day my mom took me out to this, this dirt bike place called Hebblers. And I rode the dirt bikes. It was an RM and a KX. And, you know, at the end I thought, okay, we're just going to get back in the car and we're going to go home and I'm going to keep saving and dreaming about this thing. But my mom looks at me and she says, would you like to buy this? Now, that was the confusing proposition because I'm thinking, oh, duh, yeah. And then she uh, proceeded to tell me that I had saved up enough money in that little black box and we could take this dirt bike home. And, you know, that was like the, the first moment where I really had that feeling, that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of being so proud that I did something of that magnitude. But the lesson in that little story right there isn't the dirt bike, isn't the savings. The lesson is my mother taught me one of the number one most important things that we all must learn with money. And that is we have to pay ourselves first because that's not how we grow up. I don't care what family you grow up. We, we're not taught to pay ourselves first, Dan. We're taught to pay our bills first. We're taught to pay our creditors first, pay our debts first. Our, our needs always come last on the list. And you know because we always put our needs last on the list, it's almost like saying we deserve only the leftovers. And I think that's a large part of why a lot of people don't get where they want to be in life. It's, it's not so much a magnitude that we don't have opportunities. Opportunities are everywhere. What we don't have is the pathway to how money really works. I spent 16 years as a financial advisor. And I will tell you, I learned all the basics, the traditional financial stuff, but I never learned what I like to call the truth about money. The things that I've learned today, contrary to what I learned when I was an advisor, are, are literally 180 degrees different. What all the wealthiest families that I've been surrounded by, multimillionaires and billionaires, you know, me and Dan know a lot of these people, and the way they handle and use money is absolutely not the way that I learned how money worked when I was a financial advisor. Well, let me take a step back from being an advisor. One other interesting thing about my past is in that upbringing, I never wanted to be a money guy. I didn't want to be a, a Wall Street guy, which I did for almost 16 years. What I really wanted was just to be a pro snowboarder. Now, I live in Buffalo, New York. If any of you have ever been here, I'd have to question and ask why, uh, unless I invited you out and paid for your plane ticket like Dan. We're so bad. The first time I was in Buffalo is January. It was snowing sideways. I walked out of my hotel room. I took a deep breath and my nostrils stuck together. That's it's cold. Thing. That's good for the sinuses, just Beautiful you know. people, warm hearts. <laughs> but, you know, in Buffalo, one thing we do have, you know, like Dan was just saying, there's a lot of snow and some cold tents because we're surrounded by the Great Lakes. But we don't have mountains. 
you know, we don't really have a whole lot of anything outside of buffalo wings. And uh, <laughs> be, trying to be a pro snowboarder, everybody told me you can't do it living here. I had countless people say, well, that's a great thing, but you're going to have to move out west. You're going to have to move to Vermont. You're going to have to move everywhere. But the one thing I didn't do is listen to them. Because when you got a dream, you just got to go straight for it. You can't listen to what other people say. Now, even as a young teenager, I don't know how I got this, probably because of the way I was brought up. You know, I just, all I had was my dreams. I didn't have the material things a lot of people did unless I worked hard for them. So all I had was my dreams and I always protected them with everything I had. And, you know, sometimes I had to look, look up and, you know, ask God, is this the right path? And you're tested throughout it all. I was tested a lot in my early years. But I remember one day I was out at Kissing Bridge, a small little hill, about 600 vertical feet. Uh, if you're from anywhere where there's mountains, you know that that's, that's like the, the parking lot going up to the hill. Well, that's about what we had to ride on. And I, I, was, I heard that these two pro riders, Blair and Shane, were gonna be riding there filming. So I made sure I put myself in the right place. And I remember I get up to the park and sure enough, there they are. I mean, this was just an iconic moment. I'd never seen a pro rider outside of the videos and the magazines. And, and here they are, right in front of me. I was so nervous. I remember I was almost like hiding. I was almost like a, uh, an animal in the woods kind of peeking around the trees. Like, you know, I didn't want to be seen because I didn't want to bother them. And I remember they were taking the hot laps, which is just laughing as fast as they could through the park. And I was behind them. And finally, like I was going one time and I got off the lift and there they were. And, and Blair looks at me and he's like, hey, do you want to ride with us? And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know what to say, but I ended up riding with them. And that was the first time that I really thought I could do it because now somebody else had paved that way for me. Somebody else had actually done it and they grew up in Buffalo. Contrary, they moved out west, but they grew up in Buffalo. So in my mind, now the door just opened and now I believed it was possible. And I did, and I uh, ended up becoming a pro snowboarder. And, you know, Dan, I, I don't know if I've ever told this story to you, but you know, the very first contest I rode as a pro rider, I'll never forget, I literally just signed the contract with Option NFA, which was my first pro-pro contract. And they invited me to this contest out in, in New Hampshire. And it was a, a pro contest. I can't remember the sponsors of it. And I got there real early. I was so pumped. It was a little rainy down at the bottom, real foggy. And I get on the lift and I'm riding the lift up just jamming out so pumped thinking about the day how awesome this is and I come out of the fog and I look down to my left kind of at a flat part of the hill and there it was the biggest stinking jump I'd ever seen in my life this jump was so big that at first glance I, I just made myself believe that wasn't really the jump we were hitting but deep down I did I knew because the fencing was around it and I'm like there's there's just no way there's no way I can hit that jump. There's no way I can clear that. Everything turned from excitement to the just the deepest fear inside of us. I get to the top of the hill. I'm walking around the top. Just all I could think about is like the fear. The what happens? Who? How am I going to hit this? And I start thinking, well, maybe I won't have to hit it. Maybe you know something will happen. Another rider will go, and I can kind of just sneak off and just ride back down. Nobody will even miss me. I'm the new guy here. But of course, as pro riders, somebody's always got to hit the jump first. And if any of you have ever had those furry little animals called guinea pigs, well, every contest has a guinea pig, and that guinea pig is the rider that gets to hit the jump first. And it usually comes from a game of Rochambeau. I lost. I mean, I don't know what the chances of that happening, but I lost the game. And sure enough, I'm sitting right there at, at the jump. I'm looking down the hill at this giant monstrosity. 
And I'm just thinking to myself, trying to get my, myself ready for this. I'm thinking, okay, if I go too fast, I'm gonna hit that jump and I'm gonna drift past the landing and I'm gonna drop from 30 feet. I'm gonna blow my knees out, break my back. I'll, okay, so if I check my speed and I, I don't go fast enough, I'm gonna smash into the back of that jump, the knuckle as we called it. And well, just like a knuckle hitting you in the face, that would be your knees hitting you in the face and broken jaw, whatever else, blown out knees. So these are the thoughts going through my head. So I'm just contemplating all this fear and coming at me, I didn't even see him as the starter. And he says, Chris, are you ready? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, no, I'm not ready. No, I'm not. And he says, go at will. That's all he said, go at will. Which this is that moment where you're sitting there and you gotta really reach inside deep and you gotta decide what you're gonna do. Now, this is my first pro snowboard contest. I could have just backed out. I literally could have said, no, my belly's hurting, something's wrong, every excuse, but stare down at this thing and then just take a deep breath. And then I just leaped. The next thing you're in the air, but once you take off that lip, everything changed because at that moment, I, I was no longer scared because instinct kicked in. All the hundreds of times I've hit other jumps and practiced this, that kicked in. And then I hit the landing and I rode away smooth. And now I was so freaking excited. I Fear is totally gone now. Now the only thing I can think about is who's gonna get me to the top of that hill again because I got this trick and that trick and this trick to do. But you know, I say that because that single event can explain the rest of my life. Everything I've always done has involved fear. Every business I've always done, every venture I've ever done, fear's always there. Fear of failure, fear of bankruptcy, which I've almost went bankrupt. Uh, fear of losing it all, fear of death, fear of loss. It's gonna be part of your life, but every one of those moments, you're gonna be tested. I don't care what you believe in, what your religious faith is, you know, I always say, this is my test from God. And you're gonna have to decide to leave. I've always just decided to leave. Now, they haven't always worked out. I've taken knees to the nose. My nose has been broken five times. Don't know if you guys can see. It's not exactly straight, but it's good enough. Should have dated nicer girls in high school. Yes, absolutely. But that's kind of how my life worked. And you know, then I, I did that all through Wall Street. I became one of the top three advisors at the firm I was at. And then in 2008, I, I almost lost it all. I, uh, I went deep into buying a strip mall. I had a chain of skateboard snowboard shops at this point and my lease was up. So I, I wanted to buy this dilapidated paint store and I, I bought it using a hard money loan from some, well, I would say they're bad people, but they were the only ones crazy enough to give me the loan. So I took it. And then right after I start this project, just so you all know, it was 2008. If any of you are old enough to remember that little doozy of a episode we went through, that was called the Great Recession. And that thing hit me like a Mack truck at full speed ahead. And I will never forget. I literally got to the one point I had maxed out my 401k. I had taken loans from all my life insurance policies. I had nothing. And also too, during the Great Recession, prior to that, you had an income. But now in the Great Recession, my Wall Street job, I mean, who's buying stocks during the Great Recession? No one. So my income went from here to way down here, barely enough to even feed ourselves. So I come home one night, my girlfriend, this is where you know, Dan, I did, some, I did some good things in my life and I found Larissa and she had just moved into my house. Dan knows my wife now, but back then she was just my girlfriend. She was a showstopper and she had just moved in and I come home to her. I had nothing, I had nowhere else to go. I don't come from a family with money. So I just said to her, she had a big girl job at the bank. And I said, Larissa, I need your help. She said, sure, what do you need? 
Well, I need you to help me pay the mortgage. And sweetie, I need you to help me pay the utilities. Oh, and by the way, sweetie, my, my friend Pete, you know Pete, right? He's gonna move into that bedroom down the hall. And you know Jessica, right? The one, you know, you know Jess, right? She, she's gonna rent the bedroom upstairs. And, the, and the, as if the next thing I was gonna say, Dan, is any questions? <laughs> it's like, I literally, I don't know where that came from, but I think she kind of liked me because we made it through. And that moment right there is how I got through the Great Recession. It wasn't easy. And uh, the next phase of my life is another stepping stone where I, I jumped deep into real estate. Because during the Great Recession, I learned some things. I learned everything I learned in Wall Street didn't work, everything. Oh, just use bond portfolios to, su to support it. You know, diversification, 60-40, efficient frontier, all these things they taught me. Straight down the garbage, man, they're gone. And none of them worked. Everything was down. Bond portfolios were down 30%. But what wasn't, or I'm sorry, what was working is real estate. Because I had some real estate clients and those real estate clients were crushing it. And I watched this firsthand. I'm like, everybody else is broke, worried. Every time they call me, you know, I'm getting yelled at. Where the real estate guys, they had opportunities. They were making more money. So I said, I just gotta buy real estate. So I read a book, a couple books, and I read uh, Warren Buffett's book. I was a big Warren fan, still am. And he said, the secret to making money and in investing is three things. Buy low, sell high, and you do one and two, you can't lose money. Now that to me is like that fifth grade level that I think we all can understand because that makes a lot of sense. But up to that point, I think I did everything the opposite. I bought high. When the Great Recession hit, I sold low, and I absolutely lost money. This is what a lot of people are doing today. But back then, the one thing I knew was low was real estate. So I started buying apartment buildings, pennies on the dollar, leveraging everything I had from 2009 to 14. I got up to 36 units. And then in 14, I got my 37th door, took it to the bank, same bank, figured out this is a piece of cake. And they said, no. They said, uh, Mr. Nago, you don't fit in the little square box. We call debt to income ratio. See, I was buying all these properties in my personal name using personal mortgages. Now, I'm, I'm not expecting everybody to understand that, but there's commercial loans, okay, commercial mortgages in a business name, and then there's personal loans. The reason I did personal loans was very simple. I thought I was smarter than I was. They were cheaper. The interest rate was less on the personal loan than it was on the commercial loan. So I said, why would I borrow in my LLC's name when I can borrow here and save a percent? God, look at how smart I am. So I went out there and I used all these personal loans thinking I was doing myself a big favor. Well, I didn't realize that you eventually hit the barrier, the wall. And I hit that wall. And when they did, they froze my lines of credit. They called one of the mortgages because I got a little bit behind. That was it. All 36 units had to go. Me and Larissa had gotten engaged. We had bought our dream house, 171 Radcliffe. Yep, had to sell that. I spun myself in 2014 to one of the lowest points, which is actually when you met me, Dan. It was one of the lowest points of our lives. Whoa. Larissa and me split. Everything I had, including the bedroom set that I had to sell on Craigslist, was gone. So, like, you can just see my stories. Like, I, I come from a humble beginning, but I, I had a little success, and then I gave it all back, and then I had some more success, and then I lost it all. So it was just this roller coaster ride because I just did everything that the traditional financial knowledge I had taught me to do. So like, how can I keep losing it all? There's a lot of factors. I didn't follow the laws of wealth. I, I didn't follow like some simple things that we all should practice, like focus on helping others solve their problems before we worry about our problems. Everything in the Wall Street world was me, 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 bigger car, bigger house. 
And you know, some of these things are the reasons why I lost it, but I also lost it because I had no idea how money really worked. And the next chapter of my life is where the door opened after I'd given it all away, after I'd lost it all, the second time, actually technically the third, but we'll just call it the second. And when that door opened, I was given a postcard. It just came in the mail, I wasn't given anything, it just came in the mail. So this postcard, it said, come to this real estate seminar to learn how to flip houses. Uh, everybody that's listening to this is like, wait a second, <laughs> Chris, if I heard you correct, did you just lose it all in real estate? Right you are, but see on the back of that postcard, here's what it said, it said, come to this real estate seminar and we will give you a free iPod shuffle. I had nothing to lose, but I had an iPod shuffle to gain, so off I went. And at that seminar, I met, well, you know these people, Greg, and I met Mike, okay? Greg Hurleen and Mike, I'll, I'll leave his last name out, but I met them there, and I remember hearing them talking about money. Only speakers at this real estate event that talked about money. So I was really intently listening, and what they said about money was literally the complete opposite of everything I'd ever heard. I remember at the end, uh, Greg said, the ultimate in real estate is being the bank. I had no concept of what the heck he was talking about. Like, okay, so the ultimate is I just gotta go get myself a bank, get people to deposit money at the bank, get some dumb, dumb suckers, put them in coffee cups. I got this, I got this. I, that's what I was thinking. That's not what he meant at all. But see, I didn't know what I didn't know. and. Uh, that's the next discovery phase of my life. 2014, straight through to this very moment. I focused so much of my time studying, meeting, and putting myself in places where multimillionaires and billionaires are asking them the same single question. How did you build your wealth? What did you do? And it was so weird to me because every one of them, in one way or the other, did the exact same thing. And I literally just reverse engineered this and I said, this is what I've been doing wrong. This is how I need to change things. And that's what I do today, Dan. And, you know, I've kind of had so many things happen. I mean, just helped tens of, tens of thousands of people. Absolutely. B-Y-O-B. Be your own banker. You got it. Was that the first title, the first, before you got into the money club and before you got into everything else you're currently doing that we're going to talk about? Is that when you started? Is that when you coined the phrase, be your own banker, B-Y-O-B? It is, that's when we started using that. It was uh, slightly after 2014, we started using the slogan, be your own bank. And then we started teaching what I, I teach today. And I started doing it with Brian Kessler in the early days, because that's who taught me and that's who I was doing it with. And then, you know, just kept going from there. Then Money School was born and Private Money Club was born and all the, the companies that we do today were all, you know, spawned off of that one simple phrase of just like my hat says, BYOB. But some people are like, oh, what does that mean? Be, bring your own beer? I'm like, well, you got some? Or it means be your own banker, or it means bring your own babe, whatever you want it to be. But I teach how to be your own bank. And I, and in doing that, it's just very simple. People are like, oh, that sounds complicated. Really? Because it just involves changing one thing. And that's the one thing that always surprised me is like, you can't change one thing in their life. I say that loosely because there's a lot of people that can't because they don't want to, they don't want change, or they just want to keep believing that they know more than they know, like I used to. And that's really all it takes, one change, and you can change everything in your future. Okay, so <clears throat> I can't ask this question unless I actually interrupt right now and not just wait till the end. How can people join your tribe? How can they 
subscribe to your coaching? How can they hire you? How can they join your money school so that they can learn your proprietary system, your amazing philosophy that I hope you'll give us a snippet, a snapshot of as we continue on. But I want to interrupt right now. Give us the contact information so that the people can immediately pause this podcast and, and learn about money, learn about making money, learn about investing money, learning about paying themselves first and the other extraordinary philosophies that you've created. Yeah, it's actually easy. One of my mentors a long time ago said the best thing he could have ever said. He said, give your best stuff away for free. So you're not gonna pay me to coach you. You're not gonna pay me to get around the campfire, but what you do need to do is learn. And the best way to learn is just go to my website, which is Chris Noggle, it's N-A-U-G-L-E.com. Now, when you go to the website, a couple seconds later, a, a pop-up's gonna come up and it's gonna say, watch this 90 minute video. Now I know what you're gonna say. I don't have 90 minutes, that's okay. Just click on it. And when you do have 90 minutes, take the time and watch that. Because back in 2014, a wise man that taught me almost everything I know said the same thing to me. He said, you gotta watch the 90 minute video and then I can talk to you. I'm posing the same thing to you. ChrisNoggle.com, watch the 90 minute video. When you're done with that video, you'll have the ability to schedule a call with me or my team and we'll answer all your questions. And the best part is, is nowhere in this process will you have to buy anything. Because I promise you one thing, if you watch the video, one thing you'll see is you'll see that this will solve your money problem. And I've learned that if I can help you solve your money problem, you never have to, I don't have to sell you anything because you're gonna, you're gonna buy what we're doing. And to buy what we're doing is basically a concept. So when you think of buying a product, you're not buying a product, you're buying a concept, a process. And that process involves changing one thing, and that's just where your savings, where your money goes first. So that's how you do it. And you know, I got free stuff everywhere, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. I got hundreds, if not thousands of videos up. So go to at the Chris Noggle on any social channel and you can learn and get everything for free. Okay, give us that snapshot teaser. Teach us a little teeny bit about your three most focused enterprises, BYOB, The Money School, and uh, I love The Money Club. That whole idea is just so extraordinary. It's so exciting. It's so so top drawer. I mean, it's, it's almost, almost like, like it's, it's a, a, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, a, do I qualify? How can I get involved? What do I need to do? Prepare myself so that you'll invite me into the private money club. Itemize those three things. I want everybody to know what you're up to. All right, we'll keep this super high level and simple. Folks, all of you have been taught your whole life to trade your hours for dollars. We call it working. And in doing that, you make money. Then you take that money and you give up control because that's what you've been taught to do. You put it in somebody else's bank. And I'll tell you, the bank doesn't put your money in the vault anymore. Never did. The bank makes your money go to work for them. And in doing so, they make a spread. They pay you one if you're lucky. They lend that money out at five if you're lucky. They make a 4% spread on every dollar you gave up control of to that bank. So what I teach with being your own bank is the money that you save, not the money you pay your regular bills, but the money you would save for something. Maybe you're saving for an investment, you're saving for a car, maybe you're saving for a dirt bike. Let's just talk about the money you save. What if all we did is instead of putting it in their bank, we changed one thing and that is where our money goes first. So now I'm gonna take and I'm gonna put my money to the left side. If you guys are just listening, I'm 
showing this with a, a little stack of money here. The money's over here on this left side. So what is this left side? The left side is your bank. So let me give you some of the highlight reels of what your bank looks like, because this is where a lot of people think it sounds too good to be true. Your bank pays you a guaranteed interest rate that right now by 2022 numbers is between three and 6%, okay? That's your guaranteed numbers. Then that money, as it sits there, will grow and compound tax-free. So whatever money you put in there, whatever interest and dividends it earns, it grows tax-free. Then if you need that money, you have access to that money, maybe not 100% of it in the first or second year, but you have access to that money. You can then take the money out of your bank. But you know, if you were gonna be your own bank and you were gonna own your own bank, the first thing you would always do if you owned a bank is you'd make deposits in your bank. You wouldn't go to down the street to Bank of America. You'd make deposits in your bank, of course you would. And if you needed a loan for a car, well, you would go to your bank and you would take a loan from your bank to buy the car. So you would do the same thing. But if you take that loan, let's just pretend you did it from your bank. That loan technically never needs to be paid back. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? If your bank did, said, hey, here's a loan, but you never need to pay it back. Your bank's gonna charge you interest on that loan, but your bank's gonna pay you more in interest and dividends than what they're gonna charge you to then use your money and take loans from it. Now, isn't that what a regular bank does? They make a spread, right? So if they're paying you interest and dividends, that interest in dividends is more than what they're gonna charge you to use your own money. So you're making a spread on every dollar because when you took the loan, what if I then told you your money never even left your account? Let's put some numbers to this. You put 10 grand in your bank because it's guaranteed, you get dividends, it's tax-free, you liked all those things. Then you take $8,000 out because you're gonna go buy something that's $8,000. Let's just say you're gonna buy a, a, a car, a used car that you wanted, okay? So you take eight grand out, you took a loan from your bank, now let's just say that your bank paid you 5%, and to borrow the money from your bank, they charged you four. You made a 1% spread there. Now it's more than that in real life, I'm just keeping things simple. You make five, your bank charges you four, you make a 1% spread. But when you took the 8,000 out, you started with 10, you took eight out. How much is left in your bank? Two. Yeah, most of your audience is thinking two. They're going 10 minus the eight, that's 2,000. There's 2,000 left. That's because that's how a regular bank works. But what if I told you the 10,000 you put in your bank never even left your bank? You still got 10 grand in there. Then the next question you would ask is, well, where did the eight grand come from? Well, the eight grand came from the general account of the machine, the vehicle, the institution that actually holds your bank's money. So now let me kind of just explain that again. What we're gonna do is think of a circle. You change one thing, your money goes into the left side of that circle. We're gonna call that your bank. So now let me tell you what your bank is. Guaranteed, pays dividends, tax-free, allows you to take money out and earn uninterrupted compound interest, protected against judgments and liens. Oh, and by the way, if you ever graduate, go on to heaven, that bank will pay you a death benefit, okay? What is that place? That place is a specially designed and engineered whole life insurance policy. Nothing like the whole life insurance policy that you've bought in the past. This is specially designed and engineered to work the way I just described. So when you took that loan, which, which only a few, which only a few major carriers have taken the time to create, that you actually have access to, that you can teach us. That is very true. Where to find how to access them? Yes. Yeah, so there's there's really only a couple. I mean, and the same insurance companies that do business with the banks that, that do what they call bully. You can all look up bully, B-O-L-I. 
because banks are the number one, traditional banks are the number one purchasers of whole life insurance in the world. You can look it up, go to FDIC.gov and you'll see the top five banks in this country hold more than $75 billion in whole life insurance. Okay, they call it bully, bank owned life insurance. So when you took a whole life out, but again, it's not the same whole life as what you know. When you took that whole life out, the insurance company promised you two things contractually. We're gonna guarantee you an interest rate on your money. And the second thing they promised and guaranteed you is that someday when you die, we're gonna pay a death benefit to your family. But what you just witnessed, when we put the 10,000 in and we took the 8,000 out, the thing I didn't tell you is that loan you took from your bank, the whole life policy, what that was is the insurance company giving you $8,000 of your death benefit while you live. They just advanced you your death benefit, which is why I said the loan never needs to be paid back because the insurance company doesn't care if you ever pay it back. The insurance company knows, because they have actuaries, that someday you're going to die. And they know that the day you die, they gotta pay your family or whoever your beneficiary is a death benefit. So therefore, on that day, if you took eight grand out and you never paid them back, they're just gonna subtract eight grand from your death benefit. Done, everybody's happy. So now you just got the ability, you just learned how to make money twice on the same dollars. Because if your money never left the account, your money's earning uninterrupted compound interest. If you don't know what compound interest is, just look up Albert Einstein. He'll tell you all about it. He said, it's the eighth wonder of the world. So those that understand it, earn it. Those that don't, pay it. Well, the problem is in society today, we've only been taught to pay it. We haven't really been taught to earn it. You just learn how to earn it uninterrupted. Then you got the ability to use that money to go out and buy something, and I set a car. Now, because you took a loan from your bank, you should always treat your bank's money the same way you would treat Wells Fargo Bank of America's bank's money. Because if you took a car loan from someone else's bank, by golly, you'd pay them back a monthly payment, wouldn't you? I know you would. And that monthly payment would be principal and interest. So you took a loan from your bank, which was in advance of your death benefit, for eight grand. Now let's complete the bottom part of the circle. Because now all we've done is the top part. You put money in, you took a loan, which was the insurance company advancing your death benefit, you bought the car. $8,000 car, maybe they'll call it 100 bucks a month, okay? I don't know if the number's right. 5% interest, 100 bucks a month. You take every month and you set up a bill pay for 100 a month, and you then pay that $100 a month back to your bank. So now every single month, your bank gets 100 extra dollars to repay that loan that you took from the death benefit. The best part is, is if you did this with somebody else's bank, well, the worst part with somebody else's bank is that $100 is gone from your, your household forever. When you have your own bank, that $100 a month that you make payments back to your bank for, that money's available the next day when a check clears. You don't lose control of any of your money. This system, being your own bank, allows you to be in full control of your money. It allows you control and access to your money immediately in the first 30 days. Again, I said it's maybe not 100% in the first two years or three years, but you have access to your money usually between 60 and 90% of that money immediately. And now, because we've found this circle that we can create, we found a way to always keep the money in our family. But while we keep the money in our family, we make a spread on every single transaction we do. Because if they're paying you five and you're paying them four, the insurance company I'm referring to, you're making a spread of one. But the best part is if you understand mathematics and you understand compound interest, next year, your spread's not one anymore because your 10 grand earned interest. And 10 grand is now 10,500 earning 5% under that example, yeah. okay? So your interest is now earning interest. So therefore, your spread gets bigger every year 
and you don't have to work harder, you don't have to work longer, and you have to take on zero risk. Can you explain? Just math. Let's dissect the whole life policy. Traditional whole life policies are here's my monthly premium, and eventually it will accrue a cash value wherein I can borrow the money out of the cash value. And what you're saying is front load the cash value, put in 10 grand on day one, or 50 grand, or 100 grand, or one of our mutual friends who bought one of your policies and front-loaded it to the tune of $2 million on day one. And so he act, he automatically has access to 800K perhaps, to 50, you know, 1.5 million or something. Yeah, 1.8, yeah. yeah. Within the first 10 days or 20 days or something ridiculous. So again, ladies and gentlemen, my, my followers, You've got to look into Chris Knuckle and his money-making machine, his understanding, be your own bank, be your own banker. And then you look at the mirror, be your own babe. I'm telling you what, let's just transfer over to the money school. How do we enroll in that and what can we expect from the money school? Yeah, money school is probably my single greatest thing I've ever created. And I created it out of just a need for myself to solve my problem. All money school is, is think of a dating site. Maybe you've used them, maybe you've used Tinder, maybe you've used eHarmony, it's cool, right? You got two profiles, a guy and a gal. Each one says, here's what I'm looking for, these are the things I like, this is what I believe in, and here's my photos. And then you meet in the middle and you chat and then you go on a date and hey, if things go well, you make babies and you know all that good stuff. You know how dating sites work. Well, what I came to realize is as I amassed some money through real estate and other things I was doing, I wanted my money to go work for me because I got so sick of trading hours for dollars because I felt my hours were priceless. I started to learn what the wealthy knew and that was, well, I'm not going to trade my hours for dollars anymore. I'm going to make my money go to work for me so that my money is actually making money for me. But I, I started to try to figure this banking thing out and where I always fell short is how do I make my money work for me all the time? I want to lend like a bank does. I want to lend on real estate because real estate's a tangible asset that I can secure my assets with, my money with, but I could never find all those deals. So what I did is I said, you know what, hold on a second. I've used dating sites before. I'm going to create a dating site for money where there's only two types of people in this community. There's people with money that all have a goal. They want to make more money. And on the other side of this community, there's going to be people that need money to make money. What a novel idea, right? People with money meet people that need money. Each one of those two people is there to solve the other person's problem, and they do it in a site that's just like a dating site. What this is, is called Private Money Club. It is the only and the first dating site for money where you can basically, and we don't get in the middle of any of your deals, it's a dating site, so you guys get together, you build a relationship, you go off and have babies, but these babies, aren't the ones like you're thinking. These babies are interest, dividends, and profits. And then you take those interest, dividends, and profits, and you turn them right around, you make them work for you, and life is good. It is the one thing I've created that solves a really big problem because I've realized that this thing has the ability to completely change the way money works forever. Because hey, if Bezos can start an online bookstore and do what he did today, if Steve Jobs can come up with the vision that he's gonna change the world, well then so can Chris Noggle. And I am out set to change the way money works forever with this 
dating site with, for money, and that's it. And it's easy. Just go to privatemoneyclub.com, and you can watch this whole thing unfold. October 14th, we launched to the U.S. We've never once advertised it. It's always been just a private community, and we are launching to the U.S. October 14th, right in your backyard, Dan, right Absolutely. at Sundance Resort. And I, and I shall, shall be in attendance, and uh, one of your inspirational speakers to encourage people to pull the trigger. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get involved with a genius like you. Okay, so, so let's, let's quickly, quickly shift as we wind down, down our time together. together. You're, You're such, such a devoted family man. man. Your beautiful, beautiful young daughter, Vivi, has inspired you to continuously pursue this concept of being a teacher to the world, to share everything you've learned with everyone within the sound of your voice, beginning with the tearjerker letter to Vivi that morphed into your TED Talk. So, so if, if you, you would, would just, just for a second, second just itemize those five or six concepts that you want to pass on to your daughter so that she doesn't have to suffer the same perils that all of us have faced because of our misuse of money based on our ignorance on how money works and what money is really used for as a currency of relationships, a currency of profits. And, uh, and the concept of writing a letter to Vivian in case you're not going to be around anymore, that just brings tears to all of our eyes. Quickly take us through those elements and, uh, and, uh, and give us a glimpse on the, on the, the inside, the, the, the nautical mansion man that is always exactly the same as the profitable financier business guru. You're always the same outside the office as you are inside the office. But let's just wind down our time there on more of an emotional, intimate note of why you're so passionate about sharing your wisdom with others because of all people in the world, you owe it to your daughter, to your family to teach what you know, just as we all need to interrupt the money cycle that we've been plagued with our whole lives as you challenge us to do so in your TED talk. You know, Dan, I think it's interesting. You know, I, uh, I'm i 45. Uh, you know, two years ago, my daughter was born May of, uh, you know, what would that been, 2020, 2020, during COVID, COVID baby. And I think like many of the other parents listening to this, you know, when you have a child, your perspective on almost everything changes. I mean, everything you do becomes a step toward your legacy. I mean, what are you gonna leave behind when you're gone? How will everything that we do while we're living with a child benefit them when they need it most? And I got thinking about this, and many years ago I read a book that I hope all of you have read called The Richest Man in Babylon. Well, in that book, it's, it's a difficult book to articulate because it's written in a weird tongue because it was written before Jesus Christ. It's the time, you know, time of Babylon, about the richest man in Babylon, and he talks about the laws of gold. Because I've been in money, you know, a good part of my life, almost 20 years, when I read the book, it struck me different than maybe other people. And what I articulated out of that were the law, not the lessons, not the speculations, not the thoughts and ideas of somebody like many books have. The true laws, laws like the law of gravity. If you go to the top of your building and you jump, you're gonna find out what the law of gravity means. You can't bend it, change it, modify it. You're just gonna hit the ground. But I learned that there are laws when it comes to wealth, and these laws have been around since probably the beginning of time, but we'll go back to that book. But because I understood them in a different way than most, I started to rewrite these laws 
in a way that we could understand and apply in today's world, 2022. But I didn't do it for everybody else. I don't mean to sound selfish there. I did it because I felt my daughter needed a better lesson when it came to money. I, I felt like she deserved more than I was given. Because how we get our knowledge about money is through generational transfer of knowledge from one generation to the next. But in that transfer, a lot of important stuff is lost. You guys have all done the game telephone. So what I started to do is I started to write a letter to my daughter. Now she's a little over two, okay? I started to write a letter and I wanted this letter to be something that later she could understand, not just understand, but also use when she gets older and when she needs it most. And this letter outlines in very simple lessons and stories these six laws of wealth. So let me just give them to you really quick. The first law is what I was explaining earlier about my mom. My mom taught me the number one lesson. It's actually the first law of wealth, pay yourself first. And you should never pay yourself less than one-tenth of the money you earn, 10%. So in there, I teach my daughter how every $10 that she earns, okay, she is to pay herself $1 before she pays anybody else. Before society tells her to pay her creditors or debtors and her, and her bills first, she's to pay herself $1. And if she can master that first law of paying herself first, then she can move on to the second law. And the second law is simple. I don't want my daughter to go through life the way I did where I had to trade hours for dollars because your hours are precious. I wanted her to understand that life isn't about working a nine to five for a paycheck to then pay your bills. Because if you master the first law, you now save money and then that money must go work for you. The second law of wealth is every dollar you save needs to work for you instead of you working for it. And when your money works for you, your money and your goal changes because now it's not about hours being traded. Now it's about your money making more money for you. Which brings me to the third law and the third thing I teach my daughter, which is single-handedly a, a really misused law today. It's, it's a broken law. And this law is very simple, protect your wealth. In there, I explain to Vivi how she needs to protect her money because she should only invest in things that she knows, likes, and understands. So I teach her to only ask herself one question when an investment is posed to her, when she's looking at something. Does she know enough about that investment? And if not, she's either gotta find something else that she knows more about, or she has to find somebody that has the knowledge through time, wisdom, and failure to then help her through that. Then I go on to the, the next lesson, the fourth lesson, which is to never be greedy in life. I teach her to be realistic and never get greedy. And I do that with a story. And it's a story about uh, you know the Kennedys back in the late summer of 1929, the shoeshine boy story. I explain that and I explain how she can go through life without being blindsided by temptation and FOMO, the fear of missing out, and how to take the rose-colored glasses off and see things for what they really are. And in doing that, she will then learn to be realistic, to slow down, and to then take advantage of logic. You mentioned that earlier, very early on, to make decisions based on logic, not emotions. The fifth lesson, as we wind down the laws of wealth in my letter to Vivi in this TEDx talk, is in life, we need to focus on something more important than money and wealth, and that, that important thing is people. So this fifth lesson is to, for her, to give generously without conditions, to solve other people's problems as her primary function in life. Instead of following and solving her, she is then taught through lessons, and that lesson I started talking about about my mom, 
My mom gave me my start. The first business I ever opened, I needed $70,000. My mom didn't have that. But my mom watched my dream dying and what she did, she put our family house up for collateral so that I could get that bank loan. She literally put everything on the line for her son. She gave and I largely attribute that to why I give so much because that generous act changed my life and now today I have the ability to change my daughters which has the ability to change many generations. The sixth and may final I, lesson. May I interrupt, interrupt there really quick yes. to make a commitment? Being, being a man, a man of, of faith, faith. You, know, you know so, so many, many times in our free enterprise system, system and in our woke society those, those of us who are working hard, hard and not, not trading, trading time for money, money but knowing that there's, there's no such thing as a financial crisis, only an idea crisis that I just created, and that's why you're such a genius to come up with this revolutionary, you know, be your own bank, you know, the money school, the, 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 the dating site for, for money, for investors. What we need to remember is that there's no reason under the sun for any of us to make excuse for making money. We need to work hard and make as much money as possible. And, and we're always, we're always cautioned. The love of money is, uh, I mean, money is the root of all evil, and that's incorrect. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And I just wanted to interrupt here because of the biblical example, regardless of your religious tradition, we have to remind ourselves that it was the same money, the same coinage that the Good Samaritan used to better his community and help that stranger on the road that Judas Iscariot used to betray Christ. It's the same coinage, it's the same money. It's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the love of money. But when we can understand the love of what we can do with money is a righteous driving force, we can become philanthropists, we can put ourselves in a position of a Chris Noggle and your inner circle of close friends, which I take pride in being a part of, where we look for ways to serve, we look for ways to help, and look to ways to look for ways to benefit our fellow men and women. And that's one of the most noble things you're teaching, Vivi, that you're you're creating on a daily basis as part of your legacy of love and leadership that you're leaving behind. And I wanted to interrupt and make sure everybody understands that that collective mindset with, with our, our friends, you know, the Randy Garns, the Troy Hoffmans of the world, the geniuses that really work hard on making as much money as we possibly can so we can serve others at the highest level is worth interrupting. Now go to point number six that you're teaching Vivian in the world. Well, thank you for that. And, and folks, you all need to understand these are laws. So what he just said, I mean, every one of these have been used and talked about this isn't the first time you're hearing them but might be the first time you actually start to apply them the, the other thing i teach which is the sixth and final law to my daughter is that what she's going to learn through this this letter and these lessons is that she's going to learn how money really works and she's going to learn to use money different than her other friends and her other peers and that's going to be difficult because the way she uses money is not going to make sense to other people but what i'm going to teach her in this final lesson is to share what she knows. Even if people judge her, even if people shame her, even if people don't want anything, because some people will never make the shift, ever. But I teach her that the number one thing she can do is lead by example, give and share what she does. And if she does that, she accomplishes what I'm trying to accomplish. Because 
no matter how much all of us think you're immortal, none of us are. And in my life, I've not done, I've not done everything right. You know, I definitely know that I'm going to do this part right, love my daughter with everything I have. But my daughter, if she practices these lessons and these laws, she's going to be wealthy in so many ways. And she's not going to just be wealthy, but she's going to be able to accomplish things that I never dreamed of doing because she's going to have something that I never had, and that's time. And if she applies these lessons, when I often think about my life, I sometimes think, what would happen if I could go back to my younger self and tell my younger self one thing? And, and if I could, it would be to rethink money. And when I think about that, you know, I, I think about what my life would look like. But today, now that I've got a daughter, and many of you have children, I want you to I pose this question to you. I don't think about going back in time anymore. I never ever give it any thought because my ultimate legacy in life will be my biggest opportunity. And my biggest opportunity in life is my daughter, Vivi. So I can't give anything greater than that. If I can teach her these things, how many people can she teach? And if she can learn these at a younger age than I can, she has a much longer time horizon to go out there and change the way people do things. And she very well might be able to be better than me at changing the world. It starts with one person at a time, one lesson at a time, and one generous gift at a time. Oh, I have to say about that. Power players, Chris Noggle, teaching us how to ignite the personal power within each of us and validating that, yes, we can do what he has done, we can do what he is doing. Answering the three questions that we talk about in every one of my speaker boot camps and every one of my stories selling. Master classes answer to why should I listen to Chris Hoggle? Has he done it? Is he currently doing it? Yes, it's the credibility piece. Can I do what Chris Hoggle has done? Can I do what Chris Hoggle is doing? Yes, it's the possibility piece with my past, with my weaknesses, with my limitations, and with my strengths. And then, most importantly, the third question that all of us crave the answers to, and it is an inverted triangle, the speaker's triangle. Which is a visual that it's a funnel. You answer question number one, credibility. Why should I listen to Chris? Answer question number two, the possibility. Can I do it too? You obviously crave the answers to how do I do it? How do I take myself from where I am to where I need to be? Is it worth it to me? What is the system? And Chris Knuckle has BYOB, be your own bank, be your own banker. He has Chris Knuckles, the money school. And he obviously has the private uh, money club. Chris, one last time, how do we find you? How do we join your tribe? How do we engage and in this opportunity to watch a 90-minute video, engage in a personal uh, conversation call with your team, and take advantage of this amazing school of the prophets, I'll just say. Just that's easy. Go to chrisnoggle.com to watch the 90-minute video. If you like watching other videos, go to any channel, any social channel, especially YouTube at the Chris Noggle. And if you like the idea of the dating site for money, you just go to privatemoneyclub.com. Thanks, Chris. Chris. Last, Last question. question. If you had one hour to live, what's your message to the world? You've already expressed it in an emotional, very passionate way. What you want your daughter to know about money? Let's just put a different hat on, take out the BYOB hat, kind of, so to speak, metaphorically, and say, okay, friend, neighbor, businessman, 
man of integrity, commitment to service before self and excellence in all you do, seeking the finest things in life, driving a Maserati, a G-Wagon, whatever you want. What is your last lecture message? One hour to live, what do you want the world to know that matters most to you in a philosophical life lesson? Yeah, this is a good one, and I think I'm just going to recite something from someone that changed my life, and it's the biggest problem in most of our lives is not what we think or is not what we don't know. So let me repeat that. The biggest problem is not what we don't know. The biggest problem is what we think we know that just ain't so. Be very careful who you get your knowledge from. So powerful. So powerful. Thanks, Chris. You know I love you. You know I admire you. I honor you as a friend, as a colleague, but more importantly, just as the class human being that you are. Everybody always leaves you saying, I like me best when I'm with you. I want to see you again. Can't wait to, wait to connect belly to belly. Can't wait to be at your launch of the Private Money Club. I cannot wait to watch and re-watch your amazing TED Talk. God bless you. God bless your amazing wife, your amazing daughter, and thanks for jumping on here today. You made my day, you made my week, and you've made a lot of people a lot of money. My honor and privilege, thank you. Okay, there you go, baby. Thanks so much for jumping on. Oh, my pleasure, thank you. I think we covered everything you wanted to cover? More than everything. Yeah, your questions were great. I wouldn't have went half those places, but. No, it's perfect. Yeah. Good. So, so what's the date of your uh, TED Talk? Seventh, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And then how long do they take before they actually post it? Is it immediate? I think it's pretty immediate. Like within a week to two weeks, I think it goes up on all the channels, yeah. I can't, I can't wait, wait, man. I can't, I can't wait. wait Been rehearsing hard. Of course you have. Okay, bro, thanks for your uh, Thank you. your introduction to Alex Lombard. He says that face, face back and Instagram, Facebook, they put kind of a moratorium on, on verification on the blue checks. Nobody's getting him. So he's, he, you know, he offered his services for Instagram. I'm going to reach out to him and, you know, analyze what we can do together. But thank you for that so much. And you're a good, good dude, great friend. God bless. God bless you, Dan. Thanks, man. Have a good day. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.